Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Oh, man, I, you know, we, we had a little get together last night and I was trying to give a talk. And, you know, what I really realized that I bet none of us really know where we are. You know, <laughs> it's really nice to get the feedback from your friends to let you know what's actually going on. And 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 with that, we'd like to welcome Richard Hoover to the the lost the lost podcast, which is going to be number thirty. We haven't we haven't figured out where number thirty went, but somehow it went someplace. So, uh, and what we're going to talk with Richard today about is forty five years of guitar making. Um, so. Squeeze it all into uh, yeah. oh, you know, 20 minutes, 25. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the darndest thing happened last week. <laughs> and, and it happened. I found the key to the original shop last week. It was in my car. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, those do turn up. So, well, thanks for the opportunity. We'd, we'd, we'd love to just let the pony out of the barn and and uh and let her let her rip tater chip so uh um 45 years yeah no kidding um and uh, you guys you know you're both my dear friends and confidants and and uh, uh you've seen a lot of this history and it's and it's great to share it with you i feel you know more, more intimate than if i was giving a interview for a magazine or something like that so um the the point is uh I'm looking at this really differently than I ever have before. Um, uh, 45 years, you know, that is a commitment. Um, one I didn't think I'd be capable of. When we first started the company in 76, um, the, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to come up with a name. Uh, I've been building on my own for some years and I took on a couple of partners. And it just didn't seem that important to me because frankly, I couldn't see myself hanging out with those guys for more than a couple of years. Uh, you know, to uh, uh, reach some level or whatever and get back on my own. Uh, uh, but as you've heard my story, uh, it was an answer to my prayers that I got those partners because working on my own, I just could not learn fast enough uh, or even afford to experiment for that matter. And uh, uh, without them, Santa Cruz Guitar Company would never have come to be. And, uh, you know, uh, I bought them out eventually, but we carried that on with... Uh, the uh, uh, you know one by one with the people that we hired, and I'm getting uh, letters today from people that worked with us 40 years ago, or actually I should be more accurate there, about 30 years ago. Uh, and uh, one time in 1983, the the uh, uh, market was so bad, Martin was unofficially for sale. Uh, in January we had an eight month back order. There was two of us, and by August we were out of work, and so. Uh, what anybody does, we decided we'd teach. And we started a school for a short period of time and ran a few apprentices through. Uh, some are out there. Mark Maingard in South Africa is pretty well known in what he does. Uh, Rissa and the Yogi in India, um, uh, Uva Klosa in Germany. Uh, we really made an impact. 
And uh, that's, that's really been the story of Santa Cruz Guitar Company. Well, the guitars are only a vehicle for what we do and a great vehicle it is, you know, for um, uh, uh, meeting people, learning from people and uh, carrying the message, you know, the mission statement of Santa Cruz, which is, you know, just simply quality of life and peace of mind for everybody we come in contact with, uh, making the world a better place. Every time we make a guitar, the world makes music and uh, so on and so on. So I, uh, I, I'm at a, a very retrospective place right now um, as I look at uh, my career going forward. And uh, I, I, I wanted to kind of uh, check my relevance, uh, but also maybe cheer myself up a little bit thinking about some, uh, uh, you know, some of the accomplishments over the years with the, with the business. And it's funny. Um, the things I came up with were, were things that almost tore the company apart. Um, uh, I've uh, got this curse, actually. It's been a great benefit promoting the company, uh, but this OCD artistic perfectionism that is, um, you know, that's what that puts put it in the place we are today. Um, uh, the world knows about us, uh, we're opinion leaders, big companies follow us, but in some cases it was great human cost. And uh, uh, as I get more time in my life, I really hope I, get, I do get the opportunity, uh, the opening to make some amends to people that I, I ran over in that pursuit. And, uh, uh, you know, I won't dwell on that, but it's important to me uh, to realize the cost of success as well as the benefits of success. So it's a, it's a very interesting time for me. It, it, along with the responsibility of success. It, it, uh, sometimes, it, sometimes I notice that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it, it's, uh, um, I'm thinking immediately when, when you were saying right off at the beginning, there were two others that you each learned, you learned from each other. Mm -hmm. There was no, there was no how to make a guitar school. There was, there, there, there was, there was no place to go. I mean, and, <laughs> flying blind. Yeah, and especially if you were known for some repair work and stuff like that, three people getting in repair work would see a whole bunch of different stuff. Mm -hmm, yeah, you know, so you'd have more opportunity to go. Oh wow, look at that. <laughs> that's that's well put. Richard, if I could amplify that, uh, I mean, seriously, when I was working on my own, uh, you know, you know, my background of eating up everything on the violin tradition to try to figure out how to control the sound of these things. And uh, uh, as a kid, I'm going to repeat a favorite of mine. Uh, as a kid, I thought practice was for people that weren't as smart as me, right? You know, I'll get it. I'll get it now. And everybody else has to practice to figure it out. Of course, that was a fallacy. And it wasn't until I started to get good at some things, I realized the nature of practice and what it is. And in this context, I, I at um, yeah, 24, 25, I, I just, I felt claustrophobic. I went, I could be 30 years old before I figured this out. I got to do something different. Uh, then make a guitar, sell it, make enough money to buy the materials to make another one and go again. I can't afford to experiment. Um, uh, if I do something wrong, uh, that's the end of that. I'll have to get a real job. So um, uh, the answer to the prayer was these, these partners that showed up on my doorstep and uh, uh, their combination of talents was perfect for doing that. We could make guitars on a larger scale. We could experiment. We could learn faster. And my dream came true. 
um, and uh, along with the theme of, of maybe being not the most easy person to get along with because of my perfectionism, uh, you know, those guys didn't last forever. Uh, one of them, uh, Will Davis, who, who I really love, had to uh, leave the company because uh, he was diabetic and, our, and our, uh, we didn't make any money and he couldn't afford to maintain his tradition and his blood uh, uh, sugar level and had to leave after about a year and a half. And then Bruce stuck around for probably 12 years before his interest took him someplace else. But man, they, you know, that was so foundational in the company. It's a, I just stop and give them gratitude, you know. Uh, as well as my mentors, which I've talked to a, a, a lot of times, but uh, uh, Jim Patterson and Bruce McGuire, you know, really dear to my heart and the foundations of the company. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about what the shop was like back in those early days? I mean, what, what was the, the routine where you, I mean, obviously you didn't have all the equipment and the tools and everything else you had. You also didn't have a whole lot of uh, um, other shops to emulate or to try and copy um, no there really there really wasn't anything my you know my mentors uh, uh were my idols you know and i've had like that's great ones in my lifetime um but there, there was no application to guitar making you know uh, in in that sense so uh you know there was there was some real nascent stuff going on uh guild of american luthiers was some weird thing back east and there's a little uh pamphlet that that um uh my pal daryl anger uh got and i got to look at and realize there was a network out there um but this is pre-internet uh, uh it was letter writing uh, uh and if you got to know somebody well enough maybe a phone call with that so it was a really small world um and the difference was uh for us you know people is really easily described now as a boutique maker but that word didn't exist back then guitars were made by martin gibson not human beings and and uh just the fact that you made a guitar open doors so there was a big advantage to being in uh, a pioneer in that i mean seriously go to a lumber yard or a industrial uh surplus or something like that and people like what you make guitars wow that's very cool you know you kind of got a backstage pass with it but breaking into the marketplace was uh it started out as a chain letter you know we made a guitar for our most to our most uh, trusting friend who told his friend and uh uh we got something going locally but also we were doing something so different that word spread about us word of mouth spread about us uh, uh around the country and we started to get inquiries elsewhere so i'm gonna jump ahead really quickly here and say uh you cannot uh discount the the amazing uh, uh power behind a celebrity uh okay you know we've never done celebrity endorsements but when we uh made a guitar for tony rice uh and, and shortly thereafter one from eric clapton in response to a letter he wrote us um we went let me just put it like this before that time, somebody could sit down and play a Santa Cruz and think, wow, this is 200% better sounding than anything I've ever played. But when it came to buying it, they really worried about what their friends would say. You know, you could have got a Martin for that kind of money. Are you out of your mind? And people just wouldn't trust their uh, instincts and make the leap. But once people knew that this is a company that made a guitar for Eric Clapton, it was okay. I mean, seriously, all of a sudden, it's okay. It's an inside brand. I know about it. Other people don't. I can't wait, you know, to get a guitar like Eric Clapton played. And that, that uh, uh, um, in spite of our uh, 
uh, genius and remarkable innovative efforts, that was a big deal uh, moving forward. So, you, you know, I'm sorry I got excited there, Tad. You asked about the shop on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, as you suggest, we were exploring. Um, I knew how to build guitars. My partners didn't. In fact, our original agreement, uh, partnership agreement was they both invested, I, I believe, two grand each uh, into the company. And I had the option to pay over two years because I was going to supply the tools and teach them how to build guitars. Right. And uh, I got a $500 discount for that. Um, so, you know, we started out with me teaching them how to be, uh, uh, Will was a good woodworker. Uh, Bruce was just learning how, uh, teach us how to build guitars we, we, and we're learning together while we learn to do finance, while we learn to do marketing and network and the whole thing. So uh, it was lively times and, and I have really fond memories of it. Um, we took home $150 a month apiece uh, in the beginning and that represented, uh, um, my rent took about half of that at the time. And uh, I was giving a talk last night to the crew, and it turns out that's about the same averages today. That's the same percentages. You know, <laughs> people pay about half their income in rent. Uh, so it was it was really really Spartan days. Um, a real major player in our um, advancement was Roger Simonoff, who was this um, you know brash New York guy. I say brash. Everybody from New York at that time was brash to me. Uh, came out. Uh, he had uh, founded Pickin Magazine, which is a really seminal publication for acoustic uh, stringed instrument music. And G Guitar Player International bought that, that uh, brand and brought it out to Cupertino to their headquarters and had Roger start Fretz Magazine. And Fretz introduced us to the world. In fact, we got Eric Clapton's letter from a, a, about four postage stamp size ad that we ran in... Uh, uh, Fred's magazine. It just showed our FTC and our address, and and that did it. You know that launched us. But we were um, uh, there was editorial about us. They wrote about us. They also had a readers poll, where um, uh, uh, by that time it was just Bruce and I. Uh, you know we got number one uh, small luthiers in the uh, country or the world or whatever, and that those things were huge. So there's a lot of serendipity that really allowed us to get a foothold in the minds of players. Um, now, if we didn't have the substance behind that, it wouldn't have lasted, of course. But I, I want to give credit where it's due, that those kind of breaks were, were really important in our ability to sustain ourselves and survive. And there's a lot of extremely talented people out there that most modern, modern players had never heard of um, uh, that did astounding work. Um, and they just couldn't write it out. Uh, the market, there was no market there. Um, our, our, uh, uh, our players were uh, just getting out of school, paying student loans, um, uh, maybe starting to raise babies and paying for that. And, in, and I said in the early 80s, like 83, everything crashed uh, to the point that um, everybody's terrified to spend any money. And uh, those were our wonder years. Um, we couldn't have done it if we didn't have that clear field running of no competition. But at the same time, there was a reason there was no competition. It was a really bad idea to try to launch a, a, a high-end brand at that time. Um, I, I have an anecdote I, I, I just got to tell. In uh, early 80s, Bruce and I went to the NAMM show. And the NAMM show uh, was in the Disneyland Hotel, and it was in one big ballroom. Um, and we didn't have a booth 
but we took a guitar in, actually sit, sit outside and one played the guitar and one passed out brochures. And uh, that was incredible because we meet, met people like uh, 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 Jim John D'Addario, who became lifelong friends in the business and really uh, instrumental in helping us out. And some of the mover shakers in the industry, because we were so novel, everybody wanted to find out what we were doing. But on the inside, uh, here's what I recall. I remember, uh, you know, it seemed like alcohol is what fueled the uh, thing back in the, in the 70s. And because it, everybody was my dad's age right? All the dealers and, and so forth. And uh, uh, unlike the 80s, where it was fueled by cocaine back when people just liked the taste and, you know, on and on. But, but back then, uh, we were kids. And I remember this guy in a, a salesman tweed suit that had a store someplace that was well known. And he put his arm on my shoulder and he said, son, the first thing you have to understand about this business is nobody's going to pay $500 for a guitar. You know, and and he says he says, and with that, I don't expect to see you back here next year. <laughs> so, um, I think five thousand dollars is probably our uh, about our low end of wholesale today. Um, uh, uh, that's what we that's what we walked into in the industry, and um, it's hard. It was hard, you know, it was a hard sell. And again, I was talking about innovations that that uh, I pushed on the company. Um, we're really unpopular. We lost really good people. I broke, I broke beautiful relationships with my just obsession and my insistence on doing better, better, better. Uh, and I'm not bragging about that. Uh, as I said earlier, the emotional cost of this, I question whether it's worth it for me personally and spiritually. Um, but, but it's not my, this is not my business. This is a God thing. And what we have right now, what exists independent and beyond me, uh, I'm really proud to have been involved in, you know, it's, uh, it, it's incredible, uh, uh, the doors that it's open in the world. So I, I stray a little bit here. Um, I'm going to pause and let you ask another question. <laughs> I can just keep going. To me, well, I was going to say, to me, what's really amazing is, is people don't, I think, they need to understand that back when you were starting this up, you didn't have um, a wide range of resources to buy, you know, quarter sawn material. It's not like you could go uh, to some shop and pick through, you know, 5,000 tops to find the ones mm -hmm. that have the right tap tone and whatever else. You had to put a tremendous amount of energy into finding materials and preparing materials and, mm -hmm. and things that we take for granted so easily now i mean even things like bindings and tuning machines and and uh, uh all those things i mean they had to be so much harder to source uh to to check on quality i mean nowadays we take for granted that there's two dozen different kinds of tuners that you can pick up for under a hundred bucks that's, uh, that's funny i i hear you uh -huh. let me uh, let me let me let me add to, to tad's to tad's point there um and sourcing it wasn't www sourcing it was <laughs> was maybe maybe a printed piece of paper that you got at nam you know a brochure that you got at nam or maybe they had a catalog or maybe they answered their phone or maybe they didn't ever answer mm -hmm. any letters you know well, I mean, also we didn't mm -hmm. go to nam until we were in business for 10 years yeah you know wow. nam was a a, a grown-ups resource that way way beyond our 
uh, budget to to even attend, uh, and that was a revelation to go. But it, it, there's a, you know we could spend a podcast on sourcing materials back before they existed. And now I want to say carefully and give credit where it's due. Uh, back at that time, a lot of things had to come from Europe. Uh, woods had to come from boat building supplies. Um, and but there were people, there were pioneers out there. Bill Lewis is one of them. Bill Lewis had a business, a supply business uh, up, oh, geez, maybe Washington State or BC Columbia, I don't know, way someplace else. And he was more of a rumor than a reality. But he's the one, he was great friends with uh, Michael Gurian. And he was the one uh, whose business turned into uh, Luthier's Mercantile International and partners that bought out his thing. And so uh, Bill was hard, a little, you know, he's a little hard to deal with. Uh, but later, Michael took on that mantle as Gurian Guitars and sold supplies to uh, uh, makers. Because, see, these guys were around the company. We didn't invent anything. Uh, there was simultaneous discovery. Uh, we're the ones that brought the boutique concept to the marketplace and to the dealer. And that's why we get credit sometimes as the first. So with this going on, if you tried hard, you could find like... Uh, uh, an ebony fretboard or things like that. Vitali Imports in LA uh, was uh, an old European supply house for violins, as you can see. And you could find some things there, but when it came to getting guitar tops uh, or mahogany for necks, uh, you, you got in the truck and you went to a yard in uh, San Francisco or Union City and asked to look at their spar grade spruce for boat mass uh, and uh, these, these big, huge logs uh, and boards of uh, maybe six inch by uh, 24 inch by 18 feet pieces of mahogany and try to determine if they're right. And, and you could not go in there as a, a 25 year old uh, to poke around. Uh, they wouldn't allow it. But again, uh, we walk in the office with a guitar and, and people say, oh, are you gonna serenade us? No, we make these and we wanna buy some wood. And people are like, really? Um, let's wait till the lunch break when everybody's out of the yard and then we'll let you go, you know, and look at stuff. And, uh, you know, that was our sourcing for materials for a long time. Um, our, our tools and our specialty stuff too, that, that uh, uh, the, yeah, there weren't catalogs, there weren't stuff we had to walk to work both ways uphill in the snow. No, I'm sorry. Uh, it was hard. It was hard to get established in that. And it took, it, it took a lot of time to do. And I'm proud to say we launched some uh, supply houses in, in with our influence and our networking and helping people get started and being suppliers. Um, that wasn't for us. We're going to change the world through guitar making. Somebody else can change it through supply chain. Do, do you remember your first thickness sander and your first side bender and, and uh, some oh, yeah. of the other specialty tools? I mean, mm -hmm. the thickness sander, you know, uh, I came from a, a background of, you, you know, you need something, you make it. Uh, and that did, that served us really well in the beginning. Uh, of course, there was a time where it was a nonsensical. My time is better spent someplace else, and we buy those things. But our, uh, our original uh, drum sander was uh, a design that came from Jim Patterson and another uh, guy here in Santa Cruz and some stuff in a, a Guild of American Luthiers quarterly. And it was uh, really what it was is a, a, a solid core door cut in half on a hinge so you could slide a wedge and raise and lower your thickness and a big giant drum of, of uh, 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 particle board 
that had been uh, turned into machine shock to be true, and you wrap sandpaper around that, and then you push your work through against the uh, uh, the push of the sandpaper, and we affectionately referred to it as the widowmaker, because it could put a piece of binding through a, a holocord door, you know, without with barely making a sound. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a lot of those. The little and, stuff, the little stuff probably became uh, more of uh, projectiles. <laughs> oh yeah, because we put everything through there, not only sides, backs, tops, uh, but the back of peg heads, nut saddles, you know, heel caps, you know, glued to a, <laughs> a, a board. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of hours behind that thing. And I knew to stand offline. What, what, what was your production like back then? How many guitars were you making and, and uh, um you know how much yeah. time did you spend working on guitars versus just trying to keep the company going well we did um uh at the three of us our first year i think we did three guitars um uh uh, uh you know like i said bill was only a year and a half so i can move forward uh bruce and i probably got up to almost five guitars uh a month uh uh, between two of us and we really weren't outsourced we, we, we were too we were buying slotted fingerboards from Gurian uh, but and we're buying gears and herringbone but for the most part making the whole guitar and we got pretty efficient we could almost do five guitars wow. and the custom work at that time it wasn't extensive as it is today but oftentimes we were we were stopping and figuring it out so I said we could make five guitars a month but we didn't uh, we took on a couple of uh, 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 twin brothers archtop projects, and it took us uh, it took us probably four months to build those between the two of us. But that's who we were as custom shop, right? That's and we had to learn as we went. Yeah, that's really cool. So, I mean, what what were the models you were making back in the beginning? I mean, I just assumed they were primarily dreadnoughts. Well, the hubris of of youth. Uh, we thought we could make the one guitar that every player in the world would finally come around to agree is the only guitar needed, right? <laughs> um, and uh, that could have killed us right there. Um, and what that was is uh, we, you know, our first customers were kind of Wyndham Hill type people, uh, finger style open tunings, and they were all playing dreadnoughts and it all, you know, even Michael Hedges was playing a dreadnought and it's this big boomy thing and he's losing his nuance. Uh, but the guitar at that time had to be a dreadnought, you know, and OM was something that, uh, yeah, I've said this before, like a retired music teacher or uh, something like that. People just wouldn't play small bodies. So we designed our original dreadnought, not a, like a bluegrass guitar. We designed it like an OM uh, with a pretty even EQ and uh, a clearer tone so these guys could really get uh, showcase their artist artistry and talents so original d model it was like tapered braces um uh and uh, a top voiced for uh, more mid-range and treble less booming bass so on and that was the guitar we made probably for our first 27 guitars maybe a little special inlay here or there but that was it um uh until uh until uh, we made the FTC uh, uh, as a line extension, uh, you know, a carved back like an arch top, flat top for sustain. And that guitar was, was a, if I may say so, a really pretty design. And that really caught the public's eye and moved us into that, what we call today our F model. About the same time, a, a player named Perry Fly was a good friend of Paul Hostetter's, and he had an old um, Nick Lucas model H. 
And uh, Paul wanted a uh, commission just to make a copy of that. And that design was so cool. And as you well know, one of my favorites today, we added that to our line. So we had three body shapes, uh, probably uh, by the end of the 70s that we offered. And we did them in various woods. Uh, uh, we work with people on voicing. And, you know, really the foundation of our company was controlling the components of sound that people would make a subjective choice. Uh, uh, bright and clear, uh, warm and blended, uh, uh, bassy even, uh, projects a lot or is open and airy. And that's, that's really what we cut our teeth in. And uh, uh, as I said, Tony Rice, Eric Clapton uh, ended up on our doorstep and those became, well, uh, Tony became a model. Uh, and uh, Eric Clapton was never available, you know, so we, but we could drop his name with that. So that's kind of the, the line extension uh, in the early years. And, and when and where did you come up with your first logo? I um, give that to my darling Tata Chuck, my, my wife of 50 years in February. And uh, uh, our first guitar um, was total speculation. Um, and as most makers do, you want to put everything you know in the first guitar, including the peg head uh, inlay. And the peg head inlay was this floral pattern with uh, silver wire and different shell, uh, you know, way too complicated. And the logo we decided would be the initials of the company. And, and uh, Tata designed that. And she had the uh, SCGC, uh, the tail of the G flow into the uh, uh, different um, uh, flowers and stuff on the peg head. And uh, uh, that guitar, we traded to our lawyer for our partnership agreement, which is another story. And uh, but then going on to the next guitar, uh, somehow we went like, oh, that's going to take a long time to put that uh, fancy logo on every one. Maybe we can just work uh, simpler with the initials. And the first one is really comical. You know, it, it looks uh, uh, a little bit like uh, Casper, uh, Casper and the ghostly trio. Um, and the tail was this little uh, um, uh, vestigial thing sticking out. And I cut probably 3,500 at least of those by hand. And as I cut them, uh, they transmogrified over time into what you see today. And when I finally uh, uh, got uh, um, it was so silly for me to spend the time doing that. Tata did a, cut a lot of those out and she developed some repetitive stress. And that was a huge um, uh, paradigm shift for me in thinking about how to make guitars, what's important and what isn't. But nonetheless, at the point we had to stop doing it by hand because it made no sense. It's a decoration. It looked the same each time. What was important is the quality of material and how accurately it was applied. And that's where we started looking into, um, whew, this is pre-CNC, uh, an old Bridgeport tracer mill, you know, that would cut it out. And then you did a lot of filing and things like that. So you got the point. It, it went from uh, one thing to another by me cutting out 3,000 of them and changing and growing the tail and looking at it and thinking about it. And that's how it came to be. Wow. And it and it and it's it stands for Santa Cruz Guitar Company. It has no um, uh, it has no uh, Sanskrit, Satanic, angelic, uh, uh, reptilian counterpart or thoughts to it. That's just how it happened. <laughs> well, I, I just the I, 
having one D number four with the old original hand cut logo, it it to me it, it's just it's it's beautiful. I mean, just the design. Um, yeah, the, you have that guitar. It's just it's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. But the new ones are nice too. So, <laughs> well, you know, I always knew it was a marketing. Uh, uh, let's say it wasn't good marketing. Uh, it was so stylized. People thought it said Saga, you know, and just and a lot of people assumed it had something to do with the uh, import company, you know. Oh no! no. <laughs> from China, and they couldn't pronounce it. It wasn't it wasn't serving us well. Uh, but also, we had our loyalists that that was our logo, and they would die if we changed it. Uh, and luckily, in uh, two thousand uh, um, eight when the world ended, as you may remember, uh, it was like everything, everything's going out of business. Nobody would buy guitars. Uh, we introduced the 1929, uh, a simple looking all mahogany guitar um, with a kind of a, a, a 20s look, 20, 1929. And, uh, but our logo didn't look right at all on that. It, it was like uh, kind of 60s stylized. Um, I wanted to evoke this uh, depression area thing in that guitar. And that's where I came up with the script logo. Um, uh, Tom Waltham from, uh, uh, oh man, what's his, he has a surf band. Um, anyway, yeah, he designed- The, the he Neptunes. Did, the Neptunes, that's it, yeah. yeah. And Tom, uh, Tom uh, kind of lifted that uh, typeface from some old timey stuff and he showed me different typefaces until I went ah that's the one and we came up with the Santa Cruz uh the Santa Cruz script and under that we put guitar company in little tiny letters and that was that was like ah oh, that's a dream come true everybody's going to know what kind of guitar that is and it's really served us well so we still do the stylized SCGC and then we have the script logo that helps promote us and people can tell who we are when they see it on stage there must have been other like landmark moments during the the growth of the company I, I mean just to pull one out of my head i remember when you said uh that you got the uh, letter from gibson about the use of uh their headstock design that 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 was one of those moments that you realized that you had made it as a company <laughs> and there must be other moments like that in the history there, yeah there are that you know that that was really interesting uh, we knew that was a potential because Gibson at the time, you know, Gibson, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, uh, Gibson as an honorable, uh, uh, venerable, historic American brand is not. It's a series of corporate uh, owners uh, to the name that have uh, um, alternately uh, exalted it, ruined it, tainted it, uh, uh, made it beautiful. And that was a time wasn't in their golden years. And they just decided to patent uh, guitar and, and mandolin designs and uh, electric guitar designs. And they started by doing this um, kind of Trumpian threatening thing of sending lawyer letters to everybody saying to cease and desist doing what you're doing or we'll sue you. And uh, 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 not having ever seen anything like that before, I begin to respond uh, to the letters like, well, you don't understand actually we're doing, and that goes nowhere. Uh, and finally, finally, and what this was, was the peg head. And we saw um, Francis, I think, had an old uh, uh, Santa Cruz and the peg head has the hair parted in the middle. And that uh, was what Gibson was complaining about. And, uh, you know, I, I, 
I wrote some letters. It cost money. I got some lawyer advice. And finally, Dennis Ballion, who worked, I shouldn't, I'll say this now, worked for uh, Gibson at the time, visited us, and he heard what I was going through. He says, just stop answering them. You know, don't spend any more money on this because they'll drag you, you know, they'll drag you to hell uh, with this thing. And uh, and I did, you know, I just I ignored them. But that peg head was a compromise between three people's uh, design aesthetics. Uh, when we first did it, everything was a compromise between the three of us. And I never did like it. And it always looked like an imitation of uh, <clears throat> well known of the brand. So uh, I dropped it, you know. We went with uh, we went with uh, uh, both our our square peg head, uh, taking the part off center in a few designs, and those are there's nothing new there. You know, there's Martin, uh, there's the Epiphone tra tradition uh, uh, that goes way back Stromberg and things like that. So they're they're all meant to be evocative of eras, but also the physics of that peg head, it, when you add or, add or subtract mass, you're either focusing the guitar for more projection when you add mass, and when you remove it, you're making guitar more open and airy. So instead of having the sense to have one peg head that was our trademark, we did different peg heads on different guitars and contributed to that confusion. So anyway, there, that, that knocks that story out of the park. Uh, we've, had, we've had one sense. Martin tried for a while, Based on on Gibson's lead, they tried to patent the square peg head, the dreadnought, and the OM shape, and you can imagine that didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to patent so, the square head yeah, stock. Yeah, yeah, and now our designs are copied all over the world, from the most expensive to the least expensive guitars, and it's wonderfully flattering. Oftentimes, our Martin's copied our copies of old Martin. <laughs> Life goes on. Life goes That's on. Funny. That's funny. <laughs> There's a, there are a lot of those, uh, uh, Tad. And I was just looking at a list from last night. I had a um, I had a, a mentor when I was eight years old, Pop Lloyd, and he was in his nineties, uh, and he taught me uh, trailcraft tracking, uh, you know, uh, bushcraft uh, survival stuff. And um, um, he he uh, yeah, he's probably born in the eighteen sixties. And uh, uh, he, I was one of his uh, pet pets, and he said he, he he told me over you know whether it was tying a knot or or tracking or whatever um, uh, you know I get frustrated and he and and I go like there's so many ways you could do with this you know I've always been one plagued with seeing a lot of trajectories at one time, and he said he said it's simple he said make sure you're right and go ahead. <laughs> And that's what he knocked into me. Unfortunately, I've taken that to extremes, right? Uh, God gives us instincts to navigate life and get along with people. But if you take some to extremes, you can be pretty annoying. And that uh, uh, make sure I'm right and go ahead is one where I listen very carefully to others and what they have to say. In fact, I agonize over their opinions, but I also can see multiple trajectories and I can eliminate them one by one, thinking of cause and effect until I see the clear path. And then I'm, then I'm, I'm rock headed. I'm gonna go that direction. And uh, um, uh, does it make for the best teammate, uh, but it also get things done. So I'm not gonna defend it. I wish I could redo it. But some of those things that, uh, you know, you were talking about being sued, but watersheds for our business were things like, uh, you know, the early decision to 
uh, start selling to stores, right? Um, we're artisans. We should be selling to the player and talking to them and doing that. Well, that was a chain letter and it petered out. You know, you do all the work. You talk to 10 people to design one guitar. You make the guitar. How much? You can't charge enough for that. And I realized the nature of the dealer was to do that stuff for you. You can concentrate on what you do best. And of course, you got to give them a big cut to do it. But that was a real battle. That was a real battle to get into wholesale and starting to work with uh, stores. Um, just to say, we, and we also did something unheard of at the time. We only offered a 40% a discount off retail. And people, people told us that's not going to work. People won't buy from you, you'll die. But that's the standard of the boutique industry today. And let's, you know, some of these get a little bit dry. Uh, let's, let's go to some more dramatic ones like uh, international distribution. You know, I was out of my mind because we couldn't f fulfill domestic stuff. Why in the world would you give a discount to sell to uh, 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 England or Japan or so forth? Because we need to be positioning ourselves in that market uh, before somebody else did, because business in the U.S. was not always going to be robust, right, uh, to move on to it. Uh, one, of, one of my favorites, Ted, is CNC. Um, when my wife got injured from repetitive stress and I sat down and I you know, prayed for some uh, revelation here, what can I do about this? Because we have to use our hands to make guitars. It, 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 it was like, bink, oh, some things are important to do by hand, some things are not. And the things that aren't, it's actually unethical to have people hurt themselves doing, right? So uh, things like cutting fret slots is a machining job. They're supposed to be exactly the same place each time and the right size. You don't want the mark of the craftsman in that. And people sawing them by hand adds no value and it hurts them. Uh, same thing with a repetitive inlay. Um, uh, or a bridge, if you want the bridge to be the same each time, so out in the field, somebody replace it in Sweden, if it cracks, um, make them all the same. And that was, that I saw the value of CNC. And it was not only a huge investment, but it was a huge resistance uh, from uh, my, my team and from the outside world. Oh, you're gonna be the next tailor, right? You know, no more Luthery, it's all gonna be robots. And uh, that was hard. And, and, it, and, it, and it hurt me because I thought my intent was noble on it. And I just had to go against everybody's advice and wishes and just do it. And uh, uh, those are the things I look back on in my career and go, I did the right thing, but I could have done it better. You know, I, I could have done it better. And uh, I, 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 that's the place I am today. Everybody could have done it better, yeah. you know? I mean, in, 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 in those, when we all look back at, I could have certainly been a better person. For a substantial period of time. You know, it, you brought up Michael Gurian and yeah, it, it, it's so interesting. And then to think about dealers, when you look at that, you know, Michael had a, a really interesting beginning and he was yeah. in new, he was in new york for the folk scene that's right you know yeah. so he could Michael. just take it down to somebody but and, <laughs> and you know and just like oh here play this well you know and it's a very small group of people but all of a sudden you're way out here on the left coast yeah in a, no in kidding. a, in a small town because mm -hmm. santa cruz is a small town 
It was half the size. Well, the whole world was half the size. I slow down here. The population of the world has doubled since we started our business. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And 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 again, you know, taking it to dealers. I remember. I remember. You know, going to Chicago Guitar Gallery in 1971 and saying, "Wow, what, what, what? You know, I want to buy. I want to buy a great acoustic guitar." And you know, I went because they had. I'd, I'd gone five other times, and it was on the sixth floor. And you'd get in the elevator, and you'd go up, and the guy yeah. would meet you at the door, and he would say, "Do you have any money?" Are you and, buying or looking? <laughs> no, he'd say, "Do you have any money?" And you'd say, "Well." not really and he'd say push the button and go down you know and they they wouldn't even let you in the store so it built up this kind of you know that's so that's mess so mess right, with yeah. mess with these guys because and i just went in there with a pocket full of cash and bought a really awful d35 the, 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 bridge was the in, most expensive you expect it to be the best yeah the, the bridge was in the wrong place the intonation oh. was bad it was the the rounded headstock because they're, they're 70s yeah yeah i mean the worst just just the worst thing and you know God but it was. wasn't an option that's right yeah. that if you'd asked me in 71 i would have had you buy a martin right yeah i had a d28 because i couldn't afford a d35 i would have got a d35 if i could have right but martin uh, Martin in that era could have done no wrong. Oh. You know, Martin was almost a generic, uh, like aspirin, you know. Um, uh, you know, Martin was a guitar, Kodak was a camera. Uh, and they could have they could have made them out of aluminum, which unfortunately they eventually tried, but uh yeah. and not and, and and sold them like crazy. It, it was, the demand was so outstripped production. Uh uh and um Oh God, I wrecked your story. Go ahead. No, 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 no. It, <laughs> I dived in. It, 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 it's just, I, I think the two of you guys found the path to market when there was no, when there was no path, mm -hmm. you know? That, 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 thank you for that. Um, I do, you know, I'm sorry to butt in here. I, that, that's the story of my life. But here's something really important. Martin has always been a, 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 a guiding light for me, uh, a lot of times in what they did wrong, you know, uh, what they did right, of course, they're still in my, uh, they're still in my DNA as like uh, the God guitar company. Uh, I know, I know better, but it's still, it's from my kidhood. Martin was it. But I, here's what I learned from Martin's uh, uh, embarrassing days. Uh, Martin started out as guitar makers uh, in a really traditional world uh uh, concept of uh, work ethic and quality. And that's what they built their company on. And people still see them that way today. Um, but there was an era when they, they were, uh, as far as Luthery, they were rudderless. But also it didn't matter. Luthery had become kind of a quaint uh, part of their history that was no longer necessary in, uh, you know, running a solid a company on uh, good business principles and uh, a strong corporate structure, uh, keep it family held. Uh, their priorities were not Luthery. And um, uh, they, uh, uh, they suffered because of it. Um, later on, 
ominously no small influence from us and people like us, they realized they had to regain that. They started hiring accordingly and incorporating Luther and in what they do. But there was an era where it was perfectly fine for Martin to be corporate, uh, for uh, Gibson to be um, uh, uh, Norlin and, and Fender to be CBS, right? Um, Luther was out of date. Um, so looking at Santa Cruz guitar going forward, I'm so grateful to be here for our 45th. I, you know, genetically, I'm not, I'm not scheduled to be here for our 50th, you know, <laughs> as far as my family and stuff. And I, and I, I'm not going to force the company to be anything other than what it can evolve to. And it'll be, it, you know, let's look at this place at the 50th and see, uh, what they've chosen to do, um, uh, if, if, they, if, if we remain to have uh, luthiers coming up and out, even going on on their own, but doing uh, edgy, cutting edge stuff, um, we'll stay on top as opinion leaders in Luthery. But that's not important legacy for me. Uh, again, my legacy, I want to be, uh, oh, you know, um, he did some bad things, but he made the world a better place all in all. <laughs> I'm happy with that. Um, the, uh, uh, if, if there's this comfortable, uh, a structure to the business that lets everybody get paid well, uh, get along for another uh, few generations. I'm successful. It doesn't have to be my vision and my dream, but we're just as much in danger of being Martin in the 70s um, as anybody as we go forward. Um, uh, that's not a prediction. That's just like a, hey, make sure, you, make sure you're right, then go ahead. I, 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 would, I would relate that directly to you guys being a complete custom shop. <laughs> There's another thing I fought. Uh, I fought against all odds. Yeah, I, I, all I, I, I can imagine, you know, because <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. When I bought my first one, I want to say OMPW. Um, there were there were there were there were model. There were just these models, you know, yeah, uh -huh. the, the, yeah. The, I, I couldn't get a I couldn't get a mahogany one. You know, right, I that's had, a cheaper one. <laughs> yeah, I had to get I had to get a rosewood one, you know. Mm -hmm. And there were just these models. And I think a lot of times you made you made um well I went, okay. I mean, thinking about order getting a custom guitar. Wow. Never even got there. Yeah. Well, well where you know, would you go and why? Yeah, I mean, this is really great, you know, and so, well, yeah, it's not exactly mahogany, but we didn't, our taste buds weren't as developed. You know, I, I think maybe that's. That's that's something that I've thought about is that um, if you kind of chart the way that, that Santa Cruz, as well as the um, approach to higher quality acoustic instruments, uh, it kind of charts along with the, the rise and development of better quality recording and reproduction techniques so that people, average people, could really hear what a quality instrument would sound like as opposed to just what you get on the AM radio in your car or something. Uh, you know, it didn't really matter, but as, as people appreciated the quality of a good instrument, which of course, meant that people playing and musicians would really start looking harder for that quality instrument. And there was Santa Cruz, who you already had that kind of aesthetic, or that that approach to the construction um, going, and it was it just seemed like a natural. 
And I think right. a lot of other people are trying to catch up with that. Um, you still see people talk about, you know, what so-and-so is playing on stage. Well, you know, when they're playing on stage and they've got, you know, a bunch of wires plugged into that yeah. thing, and it's uh -huh. going out through a bunch of electronics and out through some big speakers. What does it matter what they're playing? I mean, it's, it's all this other stuff that's really affecting what you're hearing. It's when you get a chance to, to see somebody you know, just right off the top of my head. I mean, Eric Sky, when he picks up that guitar, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it just to me Amen that to was that. Just... <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, you know, uh, Ted, one of the things that's um, you know, still part of my job is to try to explain to people what we do. Uh, you know, almost half a century later. Um, uh, we've been a great influence, but you guys are veterans of, of news groups. I'm going to say the, the predominant uh, uh, thinking, uh, the dominant paradigm on news groups is, well, guitars are all different. You know, there's one for this guy, one for that guy. Hopefully you get the one right for you, get most of the things you want, because, you know, sound is, is all subjective. There's no right or wrong. You know, that's totally contrary to our whole purpose in Luthery, right, is to control these qualities of sound, both the, both the personal choices and just the standards of uh, sonoral, I mean, uh, sonority, resonance, full, rich quality of overtones, and uh, you get a good one every time with the personal choices. And, and for mostly people don't realize that's a possibility uh, because that hasn't been the paradigm in uh, guitars you go and you pick the one that has most of the things that you like and you consider yourself lucky to get a guitar with everything you want is unheard of you know now uh, uh, a present company of course is aware of the last the changes over the last four and a half decades in luthery and what we can do to serve the customer but the market in general isn't right because we spend um i don't know 40 thousand fifty thousand dollars a year on trying to tell our story Puh, that's nothing i mean that's nothing in the marketplace we're up against people that make a million guitars a year that truly can only sell them on marketing they can't sell them on sound okay i'll calm down <laughs> no i i i i i i think that's, i think that's really interesting because um you know the awareness of somebody that is willing to wait for a custom guitar versus I got to have it now, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, I will settle for this, but you define your market so well by the people that are willing to wait or finding the dealers that understand their clientele well enough to say, I'm going to get one of these and it's going to fly off the shelf. You know, that's, that's great. Thank you. This, yeah. I, I hear this that. guy might like it. This guy might order it, but, but you know, I, four people ask me for this, I'll take a chance and order one, you know, like this. And it'll, it, it, it speaks to the, it speaks to the instrument. I, I, you know, I think that's really well put. I, you know, I want to pause and give a heartfelt sympathy to the guitar player today, thinking of making a choice in buying a guitar. Um, there's the brands that pummel them with telling them they're the best. 
And then there's this more, this ephemera about who's making this and who's inside as a luthier and a builder. And so let's go down to that subset of the luthiers and the builders. Um, there today, you know, there we have a lot of people that have gone out of our shop and got off on their own to great success and do great service to their customers. Um, there's people that have gone through schools that have gone on to greatness and done the same thing. There's even people that have figured out on their own that have a lot to offer. But it's a mass appeal thing, boutique building right now. And uh, the schools generate, uh, you know, uh, 50, maybe 50 potential new makers uh, every half a year. And amongst those, there's a lot of people that, that go into the um, uh, consciousness of players as a builder. And uh, uh, I'm not dismissive of their efforts, but they're building guitars exactly the way Taylor does, right? Um, really beautiful materials. They fit together really nicely, but there's no, <laughs> there's, they're hoping it'll sound pretty good when they're done. Maybe even some will sound better than others. But when the player's looking to shop for a guitar, uh, we do all this effort to make them think that uh, a, a luthier built guitar is better, but which luthier? You know, the luthier builds according to violin principles, or is it the luthier that builds according, uh, according to a formula uh, that uh, you would mass produce on? So I don't mean to make that sound sour grapes at all. It's more, we're, we're fine. Sales aren't a problem. It's the player trying to make a choice in this confusing marketplace right now. You know, you can pay uh, 10 $20,000 for a guitar that's going to have great value because who was made by, but it is it really the best guitar you've ever had and played? And, and that's going to depend on who makes it and why. And a lot of times that's very obvious when you see that there are companies that specialize in um, replicating every single dimension, <laughs> some legendary instrument. Yeah. Like it, it's as long as you get it within a hundred thousandth of an inch of, of this instrument that they believe sounds really good from 80 years ago or a hundred years ago, that the instrument they're building is going to be unequal. Well, dimensionally <laughs> it will be. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I don't want to sound sour grapes. That was a good explanation. You know, um, you can you can build a guitar according to principles of physics and luthery and make it sound excellent every time. Um, or you can make it like a chair and make it real affordable, you know, or you can make it like a chair and charge a lot depending on your marketing. And I think I'll shut up right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was on a rant. Also, we had a, we had a great celebration last night for everybody for our, our party. And so that's why I'm doing this product placement here today. As I drink my Red Bull and keep alert. Okay, well, I'm sorry, I cut you off, Chad. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, you know, I, I think it, it's wonderful to talk to you about, you know, the 45 years and, and everything you've done. And, and I think we, everybody who knows Santa Cruz knows uh, your hard work, your dedication to um, uh, what's going on there. All I can say is, or I, what I can ask is, what do you see? in the future? What do you see for Santa Cruz guitar? What do you see for world-class instruments, especially taking into consideration uh, the issues that we're having with the quality of materials, mm -hmm. um, the, the nature of players and music, uh -huh. um, and the fact that there are so many people competing in this market. Um, do you have any insight to offer everyone? Um. That's, that's a, you know, I wish I'd written down the three, those three separate questions. You know, where's the company 
headed in materials. Um, you know, I, uh, I love uh, uh, the source of our woods, you know. Um, uh, nature is a big part of my spiritual foundation. I'm not a pagan, mind you, but, um, uh, you know, I was, I, as I drove in on my neighborhood today, you know, I, I'm, an, I'm an idiot. Uh, and some people, I say hi to my favorite trees. And I feel in, in, in it, with kindred spirits, I feel in company with that. It's really, really important to me. And, and the side benefit of that love for uh, uh, where I live and what I live in is I've made really good personal relationships and contacts in uh, the wood business. I'm going to tell you this. I think I can get what I want uh, for, the, for the remainder of my lifetime based on my relationships. Uh, and I'll be paying according to their scarcity, right? But Santa Cruz has never set its goal of we'll make the best guitar possible at this price target. You know, we're just going to make the best guitar possible, or at least under my watch, make the best guitar possible as long as people will pay us to do it. You know, if either people cease paying us to do it or we couldn't get the materials, uh, I'll you know, I'll find something else to do. Um, that that means that that big companies are going to switch to um, alternative materials for economic reasons. Um, we're not. Uh, we're going to continue to use what we do. And, and I'm sorry that, that it makes prices that are unaffordable for people, um, but it doesn't make our intent greedy, you know, because God knows we don't make more money when that happens. So there's the materials issue. Right now, everything in the food chain is restricted from uh, uh, electrical, uh, construction materials, uh, woods, anything you want to buy right now is hard to get. And the prices are going up, 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 up. I'm delighted to be in business at this time, but we'll continue to get what we need in that regard, um, even if it meant scaling back, you know, to use what we, we could get. So there's that part of it. Where's the company going to go? Um, I, uh, you know, I, I uh, mentioned this a couple of times. I'm going to look at this thing I said last night to people. Um, uh, you know, I, what I did is I, I'd gone through a list of uh, the annoying, th annoying things I'd forced the business into, and I'm sorry for the way I did it, but these are the things that brought us where we are today. So uh, the luthiers here going forward, um, what influence would you like to have uh, on the future? Uh, I give you the ability to make your personal guitars on occasion. Uh, be innovative, take chances, experiment. Um, we have uh, continuous improvement meetings in each department. Bring up your ideas for uh, exploration and tests. Keep pushing the envelope. You know, let's get going and uh, try to pull that off. That's that's why I am here, and that's how I like to be. But you know, they don't have to be. It depends on their appetite uh, and where they go with that. So, what's the future for Santa Cruz Guitar Company? I'm saying I'm I'm at that that place where I can see. Uh, I can see the end of my influence a lot more clearly than I can see the beginning of my influence at this point. And it's going to, I just have to go, I guess it's like raising, you know, God, I hate that analogy. You know, raising kids. For me, it's raising dogs. <laughs> raising, <laughs> raising a dog. Uh, you know, at some point, you, you get the return on what you put into it, and you can't force issues past the point. Um, people are going to be who they are. Santa Cruz Guitar Company will be what it is going forward. And if I've done my job right, it'll keep its uh, moral compass, uh, its ethical uh, standing, uh, and its quality level. 
but maybe that's just an egotistical thing on my part, right? So I don't get me wrong, I'm not giving up. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I was I was making I was starting that conversation with uh, uh, you know my luthiers, you know, with the luthiers that I work with, but also that I mentor. Uh, that, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to pass the torch here. And what the company becomes is really going to be driven uh, by them, or it'll be driven by future management and their priorities. And like a lot of companies, the luthiers, I talked about this earlier, uh, luthery is for Santa Cruz Guitar Company is one of its most valuable assets. And it's the way that we're able to um, uh, do the uh, uh, you know, uh, sorry, my, my wife's on my phone notes here, um, to do what we do. Uh, uh, but uh, moving forward, uh, let's say Santa Cruz Guitar Company uh, 20 years from now, I don't know what the market will be. I don't know who will be here. I don't know how valuable luthery will be to them. And all I can do is what I do today and, and hope that that's of value in guiding them in the future. So I hope that doesn't sound defeatist. I'd like it to be more realistic than defeatist. No, 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 no. It, it sounds to me like you're just acknowledging what a, a solid foundation you've built for the company and to understand that, that somebody else will build it higher. And what is well, I, you know, oh, of course, we hope they'll build on that foundation. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tab, but this is important to say, you know, I, I'm not talking about present company. I'm talking about the future of the company where I don't know who's going to be here. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. I've built this foundation for the company to get better and better and better. Uh, I've built that foundation, but I'm at the, I'm at the end of my control of what that's going to be for the future. That's so I'm trying not to be morose here. You oh, go no, ahead yeah, no. and talk the uh, talk. You know, talk me up, would you? Yeah, no, <laughs> yes, yes. No, you. I think that you've trained enough people solidly enough in your values and in your expectations that Santa Cruz Guitar Company is going to be a leader in in those values for a great deal of time to come. And I'm not worried about that at all. Um, but you know, you know, Richard. Um, I, I really think that what you're responding to is probably what we've all responded to. You're, you're responding to it in a very interesting way. Um, we've all responded to it in the past 20 months since COVID hit. Who thought the world would, who thought the world would stop and change? And, yeah. you know, yeah, you don't know where you're going to be in 20 years because you don't know what's going to come around the corner next week, you know, and, and it, it, it's a very, it's a very healthy attitude. <laughs> Thank you. Thank it's a you. Very, it's well, a very healthy attitude. You know, we, we're, we're, we're at that place. Uh, COVID taught us, uh, you know, it's like, a, it was a mini near death experience where you rearrange your priorities. Like, Oh, I could lose all this. What is really important? Exactly. You know, as we go exactly. forward. Um, and uh, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, really what it, what it is for me is like, it, it, I, you know, my legacy is what I've already done, uh, not, not what goes on beyond me. And whether it's under the brand Santa Cruz Guitar Company or somebody else's name, uh, based on that influence, when I did things right, uh, 
uh, I'm glad that it's uh, contagious and viral and, and would continue on. I never believed I would see these times, you know? Uh, uh, I'm not saying this is the end of the world, uh, but my faith describes some pretty hair-raising, uh, you know, end times. I never thought I'd live to see the place where the majority of the people perhaps would uh, uh, fight to the death for a deception. Um, yeah. That truth would would uh, 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 win out uh, and rule, and uh, but man, it's a cycle, and it's a wild time. So I, it, you're right, Richard. It, it, the events around me do affect my uh, my attitude and I'm think my thinking, and I hope for the better, and being realistic rather than trying to hold on to things that uh, maybe are only relevant to me. Well, five yeah. You know, five years ago, you might ask somebody a theoretical question like, uh, the house is on fire. What do you grab and run out the door with? And, you know, <laughs> and it's, oh, I'll grab my Santa Cruz and this. It's not theoretical anymore. Um, you know, <laughs> we're looking at the world around us and, and you need to kind of make some of those decisions and think about some of those things, whether it's whether it's the water rising or the fire coming or, or who knows. Um, yeah, it feels that way. Um, I'll just say it feels that way. I really, oh man, that's beautiful. I really Thank hope you. it isn't. <laughs> well, you know, Ted, we last year we had uh, COVID, but we also had uh, uh, wildfires where we had to evacuate the shop. Um, you know, and I was on the roof with a, a hose until I wanted to get out of the neighborhood, and uh, I put together a small box of. Uh, mementos and treasures, treasures, my, my favorite chisel, uh, my cowboy boots from when I was like five years old, and uh, a couple of notebooks and ephemera, right? But they were the things that were so dear to me, I had to get them out of here just in case, right? And it couldn't take much. And uh, right now they sit in the uh, 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 seat of my old uh, 59 Chevy, you know, because I'm working on the electrical, it's going no place. And I looked at that the other day and I went, I forgot all about that. You know, it could have burnt up and I probably wouldn't have missed it too badly, you know. Uh, uh, so there's a really, really a lesson there. What's important? Yeah, yeah. What's important? it's not stuff. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. You, Richard, you've been incredibly grateful with your time and, and, and stories. And thank you. As always, as always. Thank you. I had no idea where this was going. You guys are pros. You you drug something out of me that maybe was entertaining. <laughs> if if we were if we were a tenth as good at podcasting as you were at building guitars, this would be a very very different. Well, there's thing. there's you'll get there. Well, we 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 appreciate having you join us because that really makes all the difference in the world. And as we said in in the videos and everything else. We just can't wait till we can all get together in person. And oh, just, yeah. God, no kidding. Oh, gosh. I, missed, I missed that. Well, yeah. it turns out practice is helpful. So we'll keep at it. Perfect. Perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll leave you with that. Practice is helpful. You, <laughs> you uh, um, enjoy the rest of the day and enjoy your weekend. You too, guys. I hope everything goes your way. And uh, 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 talking about what's important, you guys are, are a treasure to me as friends. Thank you. And you are to us. Thank, Thank you very much. Have fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at 
scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.